All right, chapter 34. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Go get yourself some. You're probably not allowed to eat that, are you? No. I'll eat it for Nice. Thank you for the Rice Krispies. Who brought them? Lahita. All right, very nice. Go back and get yourself one. I'm sure they don't want to take them home. And they're very good. And they're very good. Don has had this metabolism that he can eat as much. You should see him at staff meetings before you, and you know, if there's dessert, he's getting a piece. You you tell me. I do. I do. You do exactly what you're told. And you do it so well, don't you? It's beautiful. And he can just eat and eat and eat and it doesn't matter. Have you have you ever had an issue? Am I wrong, Sam? He's been able to, yeah. He's got a great metabolism. He's got a great metabolism. But his eating like that's a little embarrassing for the wife. <laughs> How long y'all been married? Thirty seven. Wow. Y'all working through it or you got it? (laughs) (laughs) Kenita Hargrove is a church member. Do any of you know who she is in this room? Okay, there's a handful. Alicia, you know who she is? Yeah. Yeah. And so if visitation is tonight, she lost her husband. And um, I, I went down and spent some time with them. They've been married 58 years. Wow. So when you're ministering to someone that was married in the year you were born, you know, wow, that is a lifetime together, 58 years. She's 88 years old and um, still able to come. And, and so it's pretty cool. Yeah, memory's going a little bit, but um, yeah. So that was, that was pretty special. All right. What are you laughing about back there, Tia? She said her memory's gone. <laughs> we were knowingly looking at each other. Yep. All right, I need to volunteer. Chris, can you get started reading 34, please? <clears throat> Bear with the King's English. Do you want me to use my ESV or you want me to use. Would he even read, he even read the ESV? Because I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure he's got a conviction against reading something other than the King James. <laughs> Send it. I want the King James. Right, let's hear the King's English tonight. Yes. <laughs> Come near, ye nations, to hear the harpist. All right, listen, read it well now. If you're going to read the King's English, read it well. All right. Come yeah. near, ye nations, to hear the harpist. And hark, people, let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all the things that come forth of it. Two, for the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations. And his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hopes shall fall down. As a leaf falleth off the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. Five. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Adumia, and upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness, and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath a sacrifice and bows rock and a great slaughter in the land of Adumia. And the unicorns shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the coromant and the bittern shall possess it. The owl also and the raven shall dwell in it. And he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. Twelve. They shall call the nobles thereof to the kingdom, but none shall be there. And all her princes shall be nothing. 
and the thorns shall come up in her palaces, nettles and brambles in the fortresses thereof. And it shall be a habitation of dragons and a court for owls. 14. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island, and the satyr shall cry to his fellow. The screech owl shall also rest there and find for herself a place of rest. There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. There shall the vultures also be gathered, every one with her mate. 16. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read, No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate. For my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. And he hath cast the lot for them, and his hand hath divided it unto them by line. They shall possess it forever, from generation to generation shall they dwell therein. Nice. Just edit out all the silence art afterwards. <laughs> so it sounds like we have a great, quick discussion. All right, Heather, what's the summary? What do you think? What Did you get anything out of there? Of, yeah. Um, I just like this chapter because, you know, it mentions the unicorns and the dragons. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Travis. I was going to ask if you knew or anybody else knew why are they, like, look at um, ID and ID. There's no dragons and unicorns. It's just jackals and oxen. Yeah. So that's, a, that's quite a different variance between animal choices there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, I, I can at least speak a little bit to the, the jackals versus dragons part. I actually did a word study on it maybe about a year ago. I am not the, surprised. The, the, Hebrew, the Hebrew word is fairly independent. Can you all hear him? Sam, can you hear Evan? All right. But, um, yeah, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, of course, but it, there's other instances where that word, that Hebrew word for jackals gets, gets used in odd spots. And like I said, it's probably more a result of indeterminacy amongst the scholars than anything else. What are our options? What verse number is that? <clears throat> Seven. Okay. Thirteen. Thirteen. The Thirteen. Oh, 13 seven, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So right. I'm looking at the Hebrew here uh, from the well from the Jewish like scriptures, and it's, one of them says dragons. I don't know which one it is. I can't read Hebrew, but um, it says, and it's cross reference to Job thirty twenty nine. So I don't. I don't really know what the difference is. I don't really know if it has any significance, but uh, coming from the Jews and they say dragons for one. Yeah, so what are our variances? Who's got something? Read your second sentence in 13. Jackals and ostriches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're reading the CSB. Mine's the ESV, and it's the same thing. Okay. I have nasty. ESV, John, Don? Yeah, but it, the nurse said that the ostrich could be owls. Okay. I have a new key thing that says ostriches and jackals, but it has a footnote, owl or hedgehog. Whoa. Owl or hedgehog. Right. Yeah. I have. In a it sounds very indeterminate. What? Nasty also has jackals and ostriches, but then in 11, it has... But pelican and hedgehog will possess it. Yeah, eagle, eagle owls and herons will possess it. Porcupine. <laughs> Do what, Jesse? Why is porcupine? Yeah, in verse eleven porcupine. in ESV, it's hawk and porcupine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> porcupine. Yeah. <laughs> the note though says the identity of the animals rendered hawk and porcupine is uncertain. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's the word we don't know. Fill it in with a random animal. <laughs> All right. All right. So, what's our takeaway from this? As we're having, what's our takeaway? It affects the text none. <laughs> okay. It affects the text in no way. Correct. Okay. Anything else? I think it's just like 
it helps us to see that all these different translations, at the end of the day, the word is not so much the significance, it's the idea behind the word. Uh, that there are small beasts that are going to take over uh, this land. There's going to be a, just a takeover of these creatures that uh, normally belong out in the wild. Justin? Uh, I was just going to say I'm thankful to the brothers in this room for turning us on to uh, that book, uh, The Unseen Realm. Okay. Um, it kind of falls in line with a lot of stuff we've seen when we're reading Hebrew. But I think it's dependent on how mm-hmm. you... Everything requires a little bit of study and to see if it needs more context. This seems like we can get the idea that it's an animal, it's a beast, but other times we may need to do further study and to see the context within the whole book or the whole Bible to understand maybe a little bit deeper meaning. Yeah, because the word dragon, the Hebrew word, can also, it can be dragon, serpent, sea monster, dinosaur. So, this would definitely be like referring back to Job Leviathan. Same word. Mm-hmm. And it's used 28 times. It's translated dragon 21 times, serpent three times, whale three times, and sea monster one time. So this would definitely be a water dwelling creature, uh, what we would probably call a sea serpent or a water dwelling dinosaur at that time. And it has a, a huge impact on uh, evolutionary thought. How so, Jackson? Because it would be alive during the writing of this prophecy. Meaning that those animals lived with humans as late as Isaiah. And it would also be a reference to uh, in the defeat of Marduk, the great god of uh, Babylon, which was also a sea creature. A, a dragon. Well, in verse thir- 14 says night monster. Well, I was going to say, I was back on what you said about Babylon. Chapter 13, it sounds similar to uh, chapter 44, except it's against Babylon. And then towards the end of verse 21, it talks about desert animals and wild animals too. Yep. So it sounds like when everything's deserted, everything's killed, the wild animals take over. So it's like almost like the opposite of the Garden of Eden, where humans are there having dominion over the animals, but when the humans are gone, the wild animals just all over the place while taking over. And it terror. first appears in Genesis one twenty one. It's the it's the sea creatures, the great sea creatures, and every cre- living creature that moves. I, waters. There's something else interesting from the Hebrew, and again, this is straight from like the Jewish like um, rabbis and stuff like that. This is about to go off the deep end, so just uh, just be ready. It says wildcats, verse 14. It's okay, I do the same thing. Yeah. Hey, we're going on the bungee jump. Right now. It says wild. This is verse 14. Wildcats shall meet hyenas. Goat demons shall ge- greet each other. There too, the Lilith shall repose and find herself a resting place. Now, there's some footnotes. Wildcats, uh, I'm sorry, uh, it says goat demons first off. That's weird. Why is that there? And then it says, there too, the Lilith shall repose. Um, and it says, Lilith is a kind of demon. And then verse, and then the, the same verse, uh, and find herself, and then it has footnote, goat demons, Lilith herself. Or owls or nightbird a resting place. It's just, and it's really interesting because a lot of people sitting in the room right now may be like, okay, I'm going to leave here confused. But the thing is, is we need to ask ourselves, you know, this is interesting. It could be a problem. Like, what's the answer to it? Why is it there? And it's there's no problem with going that that route. I think well, that's just my warfare that's going on in the chapter because in verse four it talks about. That the stars will the, the stars in the sky will fade away, and the nets that translates it as all the hosts of heaven will rise. And verse five in the net, and see, indeed, my sword has slaughtered heavenly powers. So there is something metaphysical going on in this chapter. I, I just have one simple question: When you married him a few years ago, 
Did you think he was going to become like this junior theologian? Yeah, I mean, right. Did you remember that when we first met him at the BX at AFES and he gave me his phone number and said, call me, right? Did, could you ever have imagined? <laughs> Never really used. But very thankful. Yeah. Amen. So, Caleb, is this all unseen or is this a blurring back and forth? What do you think? I mean, he mentions that you know demons are mentioned later, and they would fall in line with what's kind of seen earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about demon about dragon? It's the same one from beginning there with Adam and Eve in the garden. So, uh, in chapter twelve, but nine, it's an old serpent. Oh, that means the same one from the beginning. The same, the dragon. Right, Revelation 12, 9. Yeah, right. and another one day, Revelation 20, verse 2, yep. it said, Old Serpent, that's the same one from the beginning with the Old Serpent. Yes. The same one. Sure. Same dragon. Same dragon, same serpent, all the way from the garden, yeah. still alive and yeah, well. That's the same one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Pretty scary. So that's why my country now, the year of dragon, they, every city, they build big dragon that will sit the devil, but they didn't know. Wow. What's interesting, too, is the owl, the word for owl, is a euphemism for women. It's a, it's a personification for, the, for daughters of men. Daughters of men. Yeah, so what you have is... Like Genesis 6? Like the dragons are are the personification of the serpents. And then the next is the personification of women. So you have right there, you have the fortress of the dragon aboding with the women. Oh my goodness. Yeah, because the, excuse me, because the one third of angels fall down from the earth, and they uh, saw the woman, the, the daughter of man, and they were married. That's why they have a giant people, very giant people. It's the same Hebrew word in six, Genesis six one, six two, six four, for daughters. Wow, it's the same Hebrew word. It's the same Hebrew word. Al in this passage is the same Hebrew word for daughters in six one, six two, and six four. What verse? I'm on, I'm in blue letter. Is it the, the verse thirteen in chapter thirty four? That owl. That yep. Yeah. Right underneath dragon. I just want to retract my previous statement. <laughs> <laughs> Let the record so be noted that Andrew has withdrawn his statement. <laughs> But what in the world? Why is the we need that music? I want that music on a soundtrack that we come on. Who did it last? Deborah did it. Come on, yes, one more time, Deborah. Can I uh, look it up on YouTube to play more? Yes, please. <laughs> What's the name of that? Come on, Twilight Zone. Yeah, all right, find it, Deborah. Hurry up. Right. I, will, I will say though, I will say. Um, so we did a lot of reading again. We referenced it before when we were digging in deeper. <laughs> into our roots, into the Hebrew stuff, and then getting turned on to um, something like the Unseen Realm, which is very scholarly done, and having been raised a little bit into a Southern Baptist church, it's things that, like, when we were taught these passages, we were ne- these things weren't gone over. Everything was kind of just kind of glossed over. It was like, no, we really want to get back to this message. And so getting a deeper understanding in these books and having a right mindset when we start seeing words like Kayla mentioned hosts and heavenly yeah. like they actually there's actually meanings when we talk about heavenly hosts and what that means mm-hmm. and that's really I mean I'm actually able to follow along a little bit more now we're not done with the book but we actually have a deeper understanding and it's just helped elevate our study when you gotta ask yourself you know whenever John's writing Revelation uh, you know, what's he thinking about? Because he's getting his, I mean, obviously that was a different type of revelation that John received, but a special revelation. But, uh, you know, they're not, the New Testament authors aren't just writing, you know, stuff from their mind. I mean, you know, the Spirit's leading them, of course, but a lot of what you see whenever you go back to the Old Testament is there. Then, you know, they're just, uh, well, well, they're just um, exp- 
they're just breaking down a lot of what the Old Testament says in a way. And that was the tradition of the Jews back then in Midrashes is what they call them. And so they break down what the uh, you know Old Testament would say and the rabbis would go all over Israel and teach and their disciples would follow after them. You know, it's just, that was their culture. And so you look at Isaiah 34 and uh, and you see Armageddon here. Yeah, that's what I was just wondering. Has this taken place or is this depicted some future event? It sure does seem like it's a future event. Seems like to me. Yep. So in verse 4, when we read, all the stars in the sky will dissolve, the sky will roll up like a scroll, its stars will all wither as leaves wither on the vine and foliage on the fig leaves. How do we understand that? I thought on that one. <clears throat> uh, what hold on, hold on. Did you find the music yet? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you? Stay focused. Yeah. All right, perfect. Yeah. Yes. Can you hear that art? We want that on the recording for all those <laughs> listening at home. All right. Perfect. All right, go ahead, Deborah. <laughs> Who says you can't have fun on a Wednesday night at a Bible study? Yeah. Um, since you mentioned uh, chapter is it, 13, 13 yeah. uh, so 34.4 makes me think of chapter 13, which is verse 10. So it's kind of like you got the warning, and then basically it was, I'm just going to destroy everything. And then again in 34, you got warnings, and then I'm just going to... in the heavenly realm like God is judgment against mankind and also against the fallen angels as well all the fallen angels as well kind of got that out of that it talks about Eden well and you know what's interesting uh, to go on that point you know in verse 4 when he says all the hosts of heaven will wear away you know that's what the Nazbi says and and your translation is stars right so when we go to Genesis 15 and he says, uh, look up at these stars, so shall your descendants be. Is that further than is that going further than just the, the amount? Because what do we become once we're glorified? I'm not saying like gods, but that's an interesting thought that, that verse led me to. But angels is, angels is called stars too. Am I correct about that? Yeah, that's my point. And the stars in heaven, like the, the physical, that, that has nothing to do with what is going on right here. The, the, from corrective, the stars is there. They're talking about angels, fallen angels. God is, he's judging everything at this point. I mean, mankind is not the only people that's going to be getting judged. Angels is getting judged too. The heaven well, let's knows. look at Revelation 6, 14. But 13 and 14. All right, 13 and 14. Were you there already, James? Yes. Yeah. Don't get ahead of me. Revelation 14. 13 and 14. Yes. It actually starts at 12. Yeah, starts at 12. <laughs> it actually starts at Genesis 1 1, just so we're clear, all right? Yeah, and I'll try to pronounce that correctly, all right? Oh, no. <laughs> all right, then, verse 12. Then I saw him open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of the heaven fell to the earth as fig trees drop its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Wow. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave, free person, hid in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able 
to stand. Mm. Sounds a lot like Isaiah 34 is describing the sixth seal. Yeah. Pastor Sean, so many numbers were thrown. Where were you reading from? What chapter and what verse? Where did you start? Revelation. Yep. Six, chapter six. 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 Okay. All right, well, let's read it again. Sorry. Yeah. Yell it. Interrupt me next time. Okay. <laughs> Evan, read it, please. Start in verse 12, now that everyone's in the right chapter and the right verse. <clears throat> I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from the fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hidden caves, and among the rocks of the mountains, they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? All right, so where do we put this on the eschatological timeline? Where is this on the eschatological timeline? Second coming. Where is he? Evan. At some point in the tribulatory period prior to the return of Christ. Okay. Right. So this is the sixth. What, <laughs> Jack? You like this answer? How big it was? <laughs> yes. Yes. Somewhere in there. Very political. Yeah. Uh, okay. For those of you that are still subscribing to a millennial kingdom, okay, this is the earth that they're going to live in and inhabit. No. You said no, Ron? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said no. Do you understand my question or not? No, yes. It's okay if you don't. No. Right, okay, fine. Thank you, sister. Right. Maybe it's worse. Right. Remember, there's the dominant view, the dominant view that's still out there alive and well is that this is a thousand-year kingdom in which Christ rules on the earth, on the earth. And, sister, then you get a new heaven, new heaven, and new earth. And we go into eternity like this. Is that That's that's the view. That's the dominant view that's still prevalent everywhere. That's the John MacArthur view. That's the David Jeremiah view. Is it David Jeremiah? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the whole Dallas theological view. Okay? Okay, so just so we're clear, this is the Perugia right here. This is the second coming of Christ. And then Evan said this is pre-second coming, right? What's the seventh seal? What's the seventh seal? Look at chapter 7, verse 15. Go ahead. The kingdom of this world is becoming the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Forever. Yeah. All right, so th- this is the seventh seal, and it's in Revelation chapter 7, verse 15 or 12. Is it 15 or 12? Yeah. I got it wrong completely. No, it's... No. Seven fifteen says, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. All right, where it's, it's the, the seven seal is stuff in chapter eight. And when he opened the seven seal, there was silence in heaven in his face of an hour, half an hour. Okay, I'm looking for the seventh seal. That's what he said. Chapter, chapter eight. Chapter eight. Yeah, said. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. It's the seventh trumpet. Okay. Sorry. Yes, thank you, Jack. Chapter 11. Chapter 11. Oh. Okay. Verse 15. Right. <laughs> thank you. 11, 15. Seventh trumpet. Okay. Which is where the kingdom of the, this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ forever. Okay. So, if, if this is the sixth seal right here, I know we, we had a little pause, but I'm coming back to you, sister, Okay. And what have we just described concerning the earth? Everything that we just read concerning the earth. It's roasted. Right. Right. It's unreal. Yeah. Do we understand? I mean. Same description for the sixth temple. All right. Let's hear it, Jack, if you have it. Um, 
Let's see. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake. A tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. Okay. And it's Christ and he shall reign forever. All right, so I'm still staying with you, sister, but I just let, let me pull that what, what Jack said. We have seals, trumpets, and bowls in the book of Revelation, right? And there are seven of them, each one. And my entire adult life, prior to studying Revelation, I was told to look at it like this. You get through the seals, you get through the trumpets, you get through the bowls, and now you come to the end. Stretch them out like this, Jerry. Right? Mm -hmm. But what I saw when I studied Revelation is they look like this. And Jack just illustrated that. That number six seal sounds very similar to number six trumpet. You follow what I'm saying here? That the descriptions are not like, it's not that the sixth seal being here, and then you wait till the sixth trumpet being here, and then you wait till the sixth bowl being here. And there's a time spread out that a seal describes something. Then the trumpet, the sixth trumpet comes back and describes the same thing with more details. And then the sixth bowl comes and describes the same thing with even more details. So like you see a big picture, then you drill down a little bit more and you see some more. Then you drill down even more and you see some more. Okay. The point is that all of these seals, bowls, and trumpets are describing an incredible destruction to the earth beyond our comprehension. When, when the Lord takes the, the, the atmospheric, whatever is above the atmosphere, what do we call that? Where the stars and all that is, and it rolls it up like a scroll, okay? You can't then go into a thousand years on the earth. What do you need at that point? Having now done that to the earth, what do you need? You need a new heaven, don't you? You can't wait a thousand years. Can anyone imagine Christ? I mean, what? this is how I would compare it to modern day language. Can you imagine going back to the eastern part of Ukraine right now? Or can you imagine being involved in the rebuilding of the Gaza Strip right now. Come on, I'm sure all of you have seen enough video footage. You go back to your hometown in Ukraine and it's completely abandoned. There's no one living there. Every single playground, school, hospital has been utterly destroyed, okay? And then what you're saying is, we wait a thousand years to get to the new heaven. Who would wanna live in this earth? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you'll hear millennials list will describe this like it's heaven. They'll describe this like it's heaven. But they're describing something without the new heaven and the new earth. Because their own timeline, let's just see that. While we're on it, turn to chapter uh, 65 of Isaiah. We'll get to it, but it'll be like six months from now, so it'll be a whole new church that finally gets there. <laughs> and by the way, the seventh bowl sounds like the sixth trumpet and the sixth seal. Right, it lines right up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Massive earthquake. So, islands fleeing. Somewhere in 65, we get our first reference to a new heaven. Uh there it is, 17. Yeah, 17. Okay? So, 17, you read this language. Chapter 65. Verse 17. Verse 17. For I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy, its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, be glad in people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, for an old man shall not live out his days. Indeed, one who dies at a hundred years old will be mourned as a young man, 
and the one who misses 100 years will be considered cursed. Now, there, you got a problem right now. And make no mistake about it, you have a problem. All right, let me explain to you what your problem is. You just read in 17 about a new heaven and a new earth, and you have, in verse 20, somebody dying. Now, you have to determine one or two things. Is that hyperbolic language, or do you have an issue of death? Now, the book of Revelation makes it perfectly clear to you that there is no death post new heaven and new earth. Right. The book of Revelation makes that perfectly clear. Does everyone agree with me on that? Yes. At the end of Revelation makes it clear there's no death. Right. Right. So then we have to say to ourselves, is, is, the, is this what the author is doing? Does he describe the new heaven and earth and he goes back like that? Because yep. that's what you're told. A David Jeremiah will take that verse right there and the rest that I'm going to keep reading and they will put it right in the millennial kingdom. They will forget completely that they just read in verse 17, I create a new heaven and new earth. <clears throat> uh, people will build houses and live in them. The plant vineyards will eat their fruit. People's lives will be the lifetime in verse 22, 23. They will not labor without success or build children destined for, destined for disaster. They will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Here it is. This is your classic millennial language. This is what we've all grown up with. A wolf and a lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like cattle, but the serpent's food will be dust. They will not eat. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. Now that, Don, you grew up with the same language I grew up. When I hear that language, I'm told that's millennial kingdom, not new heaven and new earth. But please understood that we just introduced the entire paragraph with these words, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. And you will hear, to their, to their shame, I, I'm fired up about this because I, I, I care about the way we handle the word of God. You will hear them intentionally skip verse 17 and start reading at 19 or 20 so that you don't even see it. Do you understand what I mean by they'll skip it? Right. So we have to determine something. Are the verses... Post 17, are they written in a way that an Israelite in that day could understand the glories of what the new heaven and new earth will be like? Or are we to take them literally? Is this the most incredible language? What's it say? A hundred years? What's the metaphor on a hundred years in that verse? It's like 18 or 19. What's it say? Someone read it. A person will die. And they'll call him something. Oh, yeah. <coughs> 20. All right, read it, James. There should be no more dense and, and, and infill of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. So is that hyperbolic language? Is that poetic? Is it metaphoric language? Or am I supposed to take that literal... And now I have a problem. I've got people dying in a new heaven and new earth. It also calls them a sinner, too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And a cursed. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is in, in verse 17, it says, the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Okay, where do you, where's that language at? Because that, as soon as you hear that language, that, that should trigger you where? Oh, hey, but also. Wait, hold on. Make sure that everyone heard what Caleb just said. It's not 21 or 22, the wipe away every tear. Yeah, it's 21. It's 21, Chad. Go ahead. So I realize this might be hyperbolic or figurative, but he mentions infants twice. Yep. And if they're either, and if, if it's figurative for life span, or whatever, but it's odd because he even talks about not even bearing children for calamity because in the new heavenly work, they're not supposed to be given in marriage. That's right. So it's interesting that that is likewise paired in this language. Mm hmm. It's very interesting. And that's why you'll have all those verses jammed into this millennial kingdom. And all I wanted to show you was that's supposed to be like an incredibly glorious thing. Okay? How, how long is it going to take? Let's, let me bring it back to the real world. How, how long do you think it's going to take to rebuild Ukraine? A generation. Or more. Or more. 
I mean, the destruction is unreal. Have we? Have, have, I hope all of you have at least seen some of the destruction. It's incomprehensible. There are entire cities that may not be inhabited ever again. That's what I was about to say. Some of them might not ever be rebuilt. Right. Is Boston rebuilt? We, 99, 99, we flew into um, Albania. We flew into Albania. That's when the whole Bosnia crisis was going on. Uh, Third Brigade did. What? Kosovo. Right. Kosovo, that whole region, right? First night there, we get off the planes, pouring down rain, cold as can be. We're just trying to find shelter. A bunch of paratroopers trying to find shelter as best we can. We get put in a building, in a two-story building, okay? It, the wind is blowing through the building. We can't find any electricity turned on. We wake up in the morning. There's windows missing in this building. We find an interpreter, and the interpreter tells us that this building has not been rebuilt since war, World War II, okay? That, that was inconceivable to me. I, I was... I was you know, I'm a young paratrooper and I'm in a building that still has windows blown out from World, World War II. You know, we go down to the beach there. We're looking across and we can see Italy, whatever that little, um, come on, you guys are. Adriatic. Yeah, right. And there are pillboxes on the beach. Pillboxes. They're ready for um, the nuclear that's where they're going to go while they're out there on the beach. You know, it's like going back in time. Wow. Uh, based on what we just read in our chapter, how many years would you be involved in rebuilding the earth to get it to where it would be a glorious place to live? Only because if you subscribe to this theory, this eschatological system, then what you do is you have Armageddon here and you have Gog and Magog here. Destroy again. Only to destroy it all over again. Now that is the that is if you go to John MacArthur School out in California, that's exactly what you're going to be taught, and everything else is heresy. So we destroy this all the pieces, rebuild it to destroy it all over again, and that's the dominant thought. Now remember, those of you with you in Revelation, I showed you that Armageddon and Gog and Magog have such parallel language between Ezekiel 34 and Revelation that it can't be two different battles, that it's one battle. That is like, you just, you just take Ezekiel and Revelation and you go like that. And you just set them on top of each other. And it's the exact same battle. So I don't subscribe to this idea right here. And by the way, he mentions new heaven and new earth again in chapter 66. He, he does it one more time. <clears throat> again, I also go back to, I've said it before, it's just that idea that, you know, if we're to believe, like Josh was saying last week, you believe the power of God, right? When, when, when these prophets go into the throne room and they receive this information, right? John, yeah. Isaiah, Ezekiel, yeah. when they get that information, they see this, they, they're going to tell us however they visualize it or however they can. But there's, these are powerful prophecies, powerful things that they're just trying their best to grasp at the English language to describe what they're, you know, what they're seeing. Well, at their natural Hebrew language, what they, you know, what they've seen. And so, yeah, to me, it could be the same exact event, right? It's just you're going to have small detail changes here. Um, and so, I'm always looking at that when I see, this, especially the prophets talking God's words. Is it a repetitive nature, or is this something entirely different? Sure. So here's a here's a parallel, Justin. I'm going to throw this to you. Can you catch it? Yeah. All right. All right. That's the iPhone 15 Pro Max, and I want you to describe it to a pilgrim. <laughs> it runs on some form of electricity. To a pilgrim. <laughs> to a pilgrim. It, it runs on lightning. <laughs> we utilize lightning. We have... Uh, gone to the mountains and we have procured different metallic things from the mountains and made our ore and put it all together and we've used sand from the beaches that have been struck by lightning to create a thing called glass like Superman's dad's house on Krypton. And yeah, you can you see it. <laughs> we buy it from the city. 
<laughs> yes, and we buy it from the state. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and I mean, again, yeah, I mean, I could keep going. I wouldn't, um, but it would be absurd if I kept going. How, how, how would you explain an iPhone to a pilgrim? You couldn't, not really. Evan, how would you do it? I mean, you're the smartest guy in the whole room. <laughs> right. I like, um, I, I, I have a problem. I usually use movie references to describe things, but there was, um, and I, I, I have a knack for sci-fi, uh, but there's scenes where I've seen before where he's like, well, just explain it to me. And he's like, listen, kid. And he goes on some diatribe of equations and he goes, it would make your head hurt, it'd boil over. And at the end of the day, you still wouldn't understand it. Analogy I use is I've listened to Stephen Hawking. I've listened to the Einstein speeches um, and I don't understand them. These are the smartest people on the earth that have been here. And I don't, I can't comprehend a lot of times what they're saying. I can't even begin to imagine if a holy being tried to tell me or give me something to share with the world. I don't even know, like, wouldn't even compute. Well, there were a couple of times where he told John to shut up what he saw. And to That's right. It down. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Paul says it's not even lawful. It's not even lawful. Go ahead, Josh. Well, I was just uh, talking about how you asked to describe it to the pilgrim, but I was wondering if you describe it to somebody that's even further back that was um, pre-flood and so forth. Could they understand it? Because they have a bit uh, more knowledge, I think, than we have now. Like, their knowledge could be, like, more advanced than what we have. But flood just wipes it all out, and we don't know because they've uh, found archaeological discoveries of of uh, like planes, for example, that are just modeled like planes, but they they don't fly, but they're modeled like a plane. And it's like that was from like thousands and thousands of years. Like how how do they know that? How do they know that this thing could actually fly and so forth? I was like, could they actually have technology like a simple computer and so forth? And yet we're just rediscovering these things just because of time itself. So, can you play that music, please? <laughs> well, and then I wanted to ask you, uh, Pastor Sean, about the thousand years. <laughs> yeah. So, could that thousand years uh, be the actual um, whole process of the seven trumpets, seven um, seals, and the seven uh, bowls? Actually, that whole thousand because Peter describes like the day of the Lord is like a thousand years as a thousand years in one day when Jesus actually returns does time just stop or does there take a bit of time before all this stuff happens as a result we get this description of a millennium kingdom kind of as this um, forefront of like the devil gets healed for such an amount of time and then at the very end we get this war but Josh to answer your question I mean what, what the conclusion I came to was that this millennial kingdom needs to be picked up and moved right up here and that this is the greatest encouragement that the apostle John could give to every martyr that was losing their life in the first century which is that when your husband dies for the cause of Christ he is alive and well. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's ruling. He's 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 there. So I, I don't I, I don't see it as only a thousand years. I see a thousand as describing the entire period until the Perugia happens. And this was that recursive parallelism in which the book of Revelation tells a story, tells a story, tells a story, and each time it just keeps coming back, giving you more information, more information. And there are either five or six or seven, depending on how you break them up, times in which he circles back and he gives you more information. Um, Pastor Sean? Yeah. I have a thought on that. Um, and I know we see this a lot in prophecy throughout the scriptures as well, that whole recursive parallelism idea. We see it in Genesis mm-hmm. to, to a small degree, like from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2. Yep. If, it, if not for that, then God created Adam and Eve twice in the first chapter and then the second. So it's, it's there from the beginning. Yeah, right. And, you know, like I try to explain to my students, my ninth graders, that I want you to think about that day six. That's day six in Genesis one. And then that's day six in Genesis chapter two, in which he circles back and he gives you an incredible amount of detail that you otherwise wouldn't have.
And and you're right. He is circling back here and giving you more information. He does that later in Genesis when he talks about the life of Ishmael, all his descendants, and they died. And then the entire rest of the book is about Isaac and Jacob. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the Toledoth divisions. Yeah. I just had more questions tonight than I had uh, thoughts. But, like, I'm looking at the intro to Isaiah. I wasn't here for chapter one, but I'm assuming... You guys all talked about Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. So, like, what is chapter 34 telling them about what's going on at that time? And that's that's my curiosity. Yeah, and I, I think in part my answer would be that we win, that Yahweh wins, yeah. that even though that you're under the incredible um, persecution of these empires know that our God is going to judge those nations uh, which, which would be incredible hope I mean just like remarkable hope um, you said something pastor you said it when you were talking about uh, in that very same vein but I think about you made me think about John again and you know John lived his life all the way up to the end he was one of the last he was the last apostle and you have all the martyrs Paul Peter for me, when I was digging into my original Christian faith, that's what brought me to Christ, was the apostles' faith and commitment to Christ post his death and resurrection. Right. And I never really thought about this. Is John, when he's writing Revelation, he's got nothing to lose. If it's a falsehood or, you know, at this point, like, he can come clean, he can do whatever he wants, and or he can continue to talk to his followers. And even still, in talking to his followers, it wasn't this simple, like, hey, just keep up the good fight. No, this dude went out and wrote like something that hardly anybody understood at that time. And the only real message you could get from it is, we're going to win. Mm-hmm. Right? But other than that, I mean, you imagine even the Hebrews at that time, the Jews were just like, what in the world, man? You know, we know we need a message of hope. We've lost Paul. We've lost Peter. How many people have been burned at the stake? I need a, I need a letter from you. You're at the end of your life. Tell me what to do. And he writes Revelation. And I can imagine if I'm a student of his at that time, I'm like, okay, we're going to win. I don't necessarily understand all this, but so nobody understands revelations. What we all is that the summary of the whole thing? We cannot understand prophecy, revelation. We, no, we that's can not understand the summary. what's going on. That's not the summary. That's the idea being that the authors would use the language that was available to them at that day to describe what they saw, which could be indescribable. Right, which is why I tried to use the iPhone illustration. Uh, um, you, you, you can't just say, I can't describe it. You, that's not an option. You, if, if I said to you, explain an iPhone to a pilgrim, and you said to me, Sean, I can't do it, you don't get that option if you're Isaiah, if you're John. You get the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you right? Mm-hmm. But the Holy Spirit is not giving you words that you don't understand. They speak in their own language. They speak in their own culture. They speak in their own context. That's why you can tell the difference between Paul's writings and Peter's writings because, it, I mean, the mystery of verbal inspiration of Scripture is beyond our comprehension because they use all their human experiences, all their knowledge, all their gifting and everything, and at the same time, they're inspired with what they write. In other words, they don't. They, they, you don't just become Einstein for the 15 minutes that you're led by the Holy Spirit to write Scripture. People didn't look at Paul and go, "Oh, now he's brilliant." But five minutes ago, he was dumb as a box of rocks. Okay. I would suspect to you that if we looked at all of Paul's letters, because we say 13 letters, yeah. but there's there's clearly more than 13. Yeah. Right, yeah. that we would see a continuity amongst all his letters. We wouldn't be able to go inspired, 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 not inspired, inspired, not inspired, inspired, not inspired. Okay, because it would they would all sound like who's writing? Paul. Paul. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yet, some were held and esteemed by the church to be inspired, and in God's sovereignty and providence, others just disappeared. And those that were inspired, God led human beings to copy them and preserve them. Those that weren't inspired were allowed to what? They ate their tongue. Yeah. Go ahead, Caleb. So you were like, how would you describe an iPhone to a pilgrim? I was thinking of 
Revelation 9-7. So if you think about what, what are these locusts and scorpions that fly that have breastplates of iron that sound like, sounds a lot like a helicopter. Yeah, I know, right? People have been speculating about all this kind of language for a very long time. Yeah. Right. If I can just read you Revelation 20, if you want to follow along, that'll be fine because that's our key millennial passage. Revelation 20, Georgian. Yeah. You're not going to be here Sunday, so I have to bust your chops today. Sorry. Sorry. I apologize. Yeah. No, I've never been hearing. Yeah. Yes. You're celebrating your what, 12th anniversary? Correct. Right. Ooh. It's a piddly number. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we brought. Yeah. Well, we'll deal with it. Yeah. We're working on it. Amen. It's half my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking out loud. Wow. <laughs> then I saw thrones. And people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I'm in the CSB. And I also saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. Now, every single millennial guy takes that and launches it forward into the great tribulation. Okay, but that's absurd. Who was this originally written to? People who were giving their life for the cause of Christ every day, every week, every month. Yeah, at the first century. Yes, exactly. So when we go, when we read these words, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, we immediately superimpose our future antichrist image on top of that. Who would the beast have been for them? Yes. Yes. And they were making a, a decision whether they're going to worship Caesar or whether they're going to worship King Jesus. And that could cause them their very life. So he goes on and says, and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. And we go, chip, must be talking about a cool pet chip. You know, like the ones you, do they put those in horses, I'm sure? Yeah. Yeah, the high the high end horses and the microchips and all that kind of stuff, right? Right. And we just superimpose a 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 30th century imagery onto it as though this letter wasn't written to a first century Christian who needed to be encouraged from the word of God. I mean, who was the letter written to? The seven churches of Asia Minor. All of which were potentially losing people to these very ideas. So then he says, who did not accepted the mark of the foreheads or on their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. So he takes, a, he splits a category into two groups of people, and he says, one, come alive when they die and they reign with Christ, and the other group remains dead. Do you all see that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now, Leah, you lose Justin to the lion's den. And John writes you and says, your husband is alive and well, reigning with Christ right now. Be encouraged. Do you understand what I'm saying? Go ahead, Blake. One of the, I, I know that's like a great point, but you know, John was a Jew writing to Jews at the time and also Gentiles as well. But you know, the bigger picture here is God is the perfect author and he has Genesis and he ends it with Revelation that's the book ends you know as Hebrews they're looking at all of these different structures throughout uh, scripture and and yes while this is an encouraging letter to them it's also for everybody because this is the beginning from beginning to end you know this is the end of the story yes right you're you're your point is well taken, Blake. My point is simply this. We forget about the fact that it was written to a target audience 2,000 years ago. First and foremost. That is the single thing that, we don't do that with any other letter. We say, this is the church, the letter written to the church in Galatia. And then we start talking about the Judaizers that were alive in Paul's day 
and we put it in that context. Nod your head if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And we do that with every letter. We do that with James. We say James was writing to the Jews that were scattered abroad. And we start when we put ourselves in a first century context and we do our best to interpret that. Then when we get to the book, book of Revelation, we can completely forget about context and we launch forward forgetting that the letter was originally written to seven churches that were supposed to do something with it at the time of their writing. It wasn't stick it in an envelope and put it in a fireproof safe and 2,000 years later somebody will open it up and they'll get something out of it. It was supposed to mean something to them first and foremost. Because if you keep reading the text, it just gets more encouraging. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Notice the second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years, which from his perspective, if you go back to what you said about Peter, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. That's just an incredible period of time. Yeah. Right. So from God's perspective, it's been two days. Well, Hebrews don't look at numbers the same way we do. The, the, new, the new Apostle Paul movie that came out like four or five years ago was really well done. They looked at Roman, they looked at how Roman time period was then, um, and loved that movie. Absolutely love that movie. But it gives a more realistic understanding of what they would have been going through trying to get in and out of set towns mm -hmm. as Christians. Um, and then just that whole period. Phenomenal understanding of that time period <clears throat> to be a Christian. So the next sentence says, When the thousand years are complete, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to deliver them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And the, I believe that's why Christ says in Matthew chapter 24 that we're, the deception is at such a level that were it possible, even the elect would be deceived. Yeah. That, that we live right now in a, if I can use the word deception, is kept in check by God reigning Satan under control. But at some period of time, God's going to let go of that binding of Satan's power to deceive and which ramps us up to go into the great tribulation where deception is because he the, Jesus says it, you're going to hear the Christ is here you're going to hear the Christ is here it's not going to be there it's not going to be there he actually talks about the level of deception in the Olivet Discourse and I believe that the reason we have this heightened level of deception is because the adversary has been released and that's why we get to a point where were it possible, even the elect could be deceived. How, can anyone imagine right now getting a one one world ruler right now? With 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 Putin, with the United States, with Israel, could, what level of deception would be necessary to get all the world to unite around one person? What? I said COVID. World Bank. We can all see how one major thing could shift things that quickly. Yeah. Sure. That should take something changing. Right. And I would submit to you, sister, that a deception would be involved in it. Mm -hmm. At an incredible level. Yeah. It should be. Right. For us to abandon our American heritage, for the Chinese to ab abandon that, because you got to think about what you've got to give up. And a guy like Putin is not giving over the reins of his nation to any, just anybody without a level of deception. You're not without a fight. Pastor Sean, yeah. I'm a little confused. Are you saying that Satan is bound now? I'm saying in one category and only one category. And that's as described here in his ability to deceive mm -hmm. the nations. Yeah. That's it. Just one, because that's all it says here doesn't say anything else concerning his body. I would describe it like a mob boss behind bars with an iPhone 15 and the best internet connectivity ever. Well, you can take an example like Job. Job sure. He said that you can do everything that you want, but don't kill him. Up he's to like, this he's point. Like, I'm, t I'm telling you, you can do whatever you want with him, but what, you can't right. kill him. What bound him? What? What bound him? 
Resurrection. Is that yeah? I I believe that the binding that's described is the head injury that is described in Revelation yeah. three fifteen mm-hmm. from yeah. from the cross. Yes, yeah. because everyone is willing to accept the fact that Jesus got a heel injury on the cross. No one has any problems with that. Yeah. But then when you say, all right, what's the reciprocal penalty upon the Satan then? Because are you going to separate those? In other words. Jesus got the heel injury at the cross, but the Satan doesn't get his head injury for five thousand years or ten thousand years. So, because where do you, where in the Genesis three fifteen promise would you get any idea that the injuries are separated? None. Right. If 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 Josh and I get in a fight and Josh beats the snot out of me and I get a little bit of his heel, that happens simultaneously. We don't have a scenario where that one is separated in time. So we need to be able to identify what is the head injury that the Satan receives. Yeah, Evan. Uh, to say, though, that the that Satan was bound during the events of 70 AD would be difficult. I mean, we essentially see Revelation play out in a miniature scale. I don't know if very, I think it's a stretch to say that he would have been bound in that capacity. Well, I wore the Holocaust. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm, how, I'm, many, how many people were immediately like brought into the fold, though? You're talking about before then it was just one nation, Israel. The moment Christ dies, the entire world that, that chooses him is safe. They're no longer, they no longer belong to anybody but God. Yeah, but again, Evan, to go back to what you're saying is, I haven't offended you guys, have I? It says I'm gonna go get the room. What? It's what? Oh, sorry, I was thinking eight o'clock, man. Go, go. Evan, all I'm saying is that the binding is not in his ability to destroy. It's only in his ability to deceive the nations in the way that he deceived the nations before I was gonna come back in the old testament where entire nations were sacrificing babies to gods and inconceivable things. That and the, the parallel I do is you got the Great Commission is to take the gospel to who to the nations. And so how does how does God set the conditions to take the gospel to the nations? He binds Satan's ability to deceive those nations, paving the way for the gospel to go to all the world.